scripture reading is Genesis chapter 13. It's on page 9 of these uh, Bibles that are on the seats. So Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northwards, southwards, and eastwards, and westwards. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Well, if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, uh, and we'll look at that together. But before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we come to it now, that you would uh, speak to us by your spirit, that you would... Uh, open our eyes that we might see you, open our ears to hear uh, what you have to say. Uh, we pray that you would minister to us by your Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I wonder if you can think of a time in your life where you have faced a difficult trial. Uh, it may have been a short-lived trial, uh, an exam or a, a test at school or at, at work. Uh, uh, perhaps it was a job interview or a trial for a, a sports team. Or, or it may be it was something of uh, perhaps a more ongoing nature, a, a challenge with your health, 
or the health of a loved one. A difficult period of parenting a small child. Uh, maybe that's a trial that you're in the midst of right now. Trials can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, can't they? But perhaps one of the most difficult trials that we have to face in life is the trial of relational breakdown. The pain uh, of estrangement from a, a family member or a, a, a former friend or, or perhaps the breakdown of relationship with a fellow Christian. What do we do when that happens? When a relationship breaks in the family of faith? Well, the passage that we're looking at today, it gives us a, an insight into how we navigate our way through that kind of trial, how we deal with division between God's people. If you look with me at verse 1, so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, if you were here last week, then you'll remember that we were in Genesis chapter 12, and we saw Abraham's utter failure in the land of Egypt. In an effort to, to save his own skin, he, he passed his wife off as his sister, which nearly cost them their marriage. We saw that Abraham repeatedly acted without God in mind. He took matters into his own hands. And in the end, he had to be escorted out of Egypt by Pharaoh's guards. And yet God wasn't finished with him. Despite his faithlessness in Egypt, God remained faithful. Abraham may have failed the test in Egypt, but in chapter 13, God gives him another chance by placing a different trial before him. Notice we're told, verse 2, that, that Abraham was very rich. Now, the word used there in the Hebrew is the word kabod, which means heavy. And it's the same word used in chapter 12, verse 10, where it's translated severe in the English. Now, in chapter 12, where we see that word, that the trial that Abraham faced arose out of the heaviness or the severity of the famine. The, the trial he faces in, in chapter 13 is due to the, the heaviness or the amount of wealth he had accumulated. We might say he was loaded. Uh, remember last week, we, we saw that as a result of Abraham's sinful actions, Pharaoh lavished him with riches, all sorts of luxuries. And evidently, from what we learn in this chapter, a vast amount of cattle. But that vast wealth proved to be a curse, not a blessing, because it led to the situation that Abraham faced here in chapter 13, the trial of conflict with his nephew Lot. It's a very different trial, but one that this time Abraham passed with flying colors. And it's important to point out that, that Abraham was not some one-dimensional character who always got it wrong or who always got it right. Sometimes he was faithful and sometimes he wasn't. And, and that's because he wasn't some made-up character. He was a real person. And real people are complex, aren't they? Our Christian lives are not one steady progression of maturity till we reach the finish line. We have ups, and we have downs. We sin. We get it wrong sometimes. And other times we get it right. We learn. We grow. We change. We bring our lives in line with God's will. 
And Abraham's behavior here in this chapter is a model for us of what it looks like to deal with conflict with another Christian in a way that is honoring to God. If you look with me at verse 2, now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Right, so, so Abraham and Lot, they arrive back in Canaan and they make their way to Bethel where Abraham had previously built an altar to God. And notice before anything else happens, we're told that Abraham worshipped God there. Everything Abraham does here in this chapter is done with his eyes firmly fixed on God. It's the complete opposite of what went on down in Egypt. We're meant to understand that Abraham's actions in this chapter are that of a man of faith. They're to be commended. But of course, we know, don't we, that, that faithfulness to God, it doesn't protect us from trials. And in this case, Abraham, despite walking closely with God, he faced the severe pain of family conflict. We read verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Now, evidently, Lot had benefited from Pharaoh's lavish generosity to Abraham. And such was the weight of their possessions that Bethel wasn't big enough for the both of them. And things were so crowded that Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen started coming to blows. And notice that we're also told that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were, were also dwelling in the land. Now, why are we told that? It's always worth asking that when we see what, what seems to be like a bit of incidental detail. Because the, the Bible doesn't really do incidental detail. Everything's in there for a reason. Now, it could be that we are just meant to get a sense of how crowded the area was. That it wasn't just Abraham and Lot fighting for space. That the Canaanites and, and, and the Perizzites also needed grazing land. But I think there's something deeper going on here. When you, track, uh, when you track the impact of Abraham's behavior, both first in Canaan and, and then in Egypt, what you see is that in, in chapter 12, uh, in his first sojourn in Canaan, Abraham left a legacy of worship. He was a blessing to the people of the land. And then, of course, in Egypt, he did nothing to commend God to the Egyptians. Instead, he was rightly condemned by Pharaoh for his behavior. A pagan worshiper, a pagan king, condemning a man of God. A major outworking of God's promises was that through Abraham and his descendants, the nations would be blessed. Clearly, in Egypt, Abraham had failed on that front. And back in Canaan, there was a real danger that the witness of God's people to the nations would once again end in failure if this infighting between the herdsmen was allowed to continue unchecked. 
There was something far bigger going on here than just trying to resolve a family dispute. For the sake of God's name amongst the Canaanites and the Perizzites, Abram had to take action. He had to pursue peace with his nephew. And that's exactly what he did. Look with me at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. Now, I don't know about you, but that last line seems a bit jarring, doesn't it? In an effort to bring peace in his family, in an effort to be a blessing to the surrounding nations, Abram, who was once again walking closely with God, who is clearly commended for his actions in this chapter, he tells Lot to leave. Now, what are we meant to make of that? Surely separation is never the answer. Surely peace, reconciliation amongst brothers and sisters in Christ is a failure unless we all stay together. Well, not according to these verses. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Paul and Barnabas and Acts, who, who worked so closely together, both separated after a dispute, but both continued to be used by God. One day we will enjoy eternity together where all our relationships will be perfect. And the Bible has lots to say about, about how we pursue harmony in the church. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks about uh, the characteristics of love, that we're to be patient, that we're to be kind, that we're not to be self-seeking. Uh, we're called to exhibit a love that covers over a multitude of sins. All of these things contribute to, to peacemaking within the church, and we should pursue that. But, but this side of eternity, sadly, there will be times where the brokenness of our relationships will mean that sometimes the best thing to promote peace in the family of God and to maintain the witness of the church is for Christians who are in dispute to go their separate ways. But even when separation is the best course of action, that doesn't mean that we need to live with hostility to one another. You see, even as Abraham told Lot that it was time to leave, he was full of grace in the way he went about it. Even as he communicates what would have been a hard message, his language is full of kindness. His motivation, verse 8, is so that there won't be strife between them. He highlights their shared bond as family as a reason for conflict not to exist among them. And then in an extraordinary act of generosity, he offers Lot first dibs on the land. If you look with me at verse 9, separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now this is incredible stuff from Abraham. In that culture, as the elder figure in the family, Abraham had the right to choose first. And he could have asserted that right. But instead, he showed an incredible degree of charity to Lot. He humbled himself for Lot's sake. He put Lot's interests before his own. It's such a contrast to his self-serving schemes in Egypt, isn't it? 
In Egypt, Abraham lost sight of God, but here he was able to be generous because his eyes were fixed on God's promises. His faith in God shone through. God had promised him the land, so Abraham could trust that, that God's will would ultimately be done. His security in God's promises enabled him to be generous to Lot. And this is such an important truth to, to grasp hold of when we face conflict in the family of God. Normally, in conflict, our temptation is to assert our rights, to focus on the wrongs of the other, to demand justice. We can become so consumed in the situation that we fail to see that our adversary is a brother or sister in Christ. And that's why we need to lift our eyes to the promises of God, to remember our identity as his people, that we are called to count our fellow Christians as more significant than ourselves, that we have both experienced the same grace despite doing nothing to deserve it, that we share the same Heavenly Father, and that one day we will enjoy complete reconciliation with one another in eternity. God has promised us a sure and certain future hope in Jesus Christ. We are secure in Him, so we can extend grace to those we're in conflict with. We can be full of generosity. We can be charitable in our attitudes, even if a relationship has broken down to such an extent that separation is needed, we can still forgive and desire the best for our brother or sister as we part ways. And we can look forward to the day where our relationships will be perfect, lacking in nothing. Abraham's generosity arose out of his security in God's promises. And that security was sorely tested because for all his generosity... It was met only with selfishness on the part of Lot. If you look with me at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. So presented with... Abraham's selfless offer, Lot acted only out of self-interest. You get a real sense in verse 10 of the, the careful thought Lot took to take in his surroundings. He, he studied the land in detail, and he made sure that he chose the, the, the absolute best possible situation for himself. The land he chose, the Jordan Valley, is likened in verse 10 to the Garden of Eden and, and to, to Egypt. In other words, it was a fertile land. It was a paradise for Lot to enjoy. And Lot, he lived up to his name. He took the Lot. And he set off with all his stuff, leaving Abraham to the dregs. Now, what Lot should have done was defer to his uncle to give Abraham first choice which was his right, but Lot, he thought only of himself. He took advantage of Abraham's generosity, his gracious offer, to suit himself. Abraham did all the giving, and Lot just took, took, took. But Abraham's generosity towards Lot 
It wasn't dependent on Lot reciprocating it. He pursued peace even when his nephew took advantage of that. Now, sadly for Lot, his selfish choices came back to bite him. You see, as Lot set off to the Jordan Valley, we're given an insight into to what was wrong with the choice that he'd made. We read verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And in verse 10, we're given a hint of what awaited Lot in the land. We're told this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now add to that the references to Eden and to, to Egypt, both locations where judgment took place. And what we have underlying these verses are pointers towards the judgment that God would inflict on Sodom and Gomorrah for their great wickedness. In order to indulge his selfish desires, Lot left the land of promise, the place of God's will, and, what, and went to what seemed like a piece of prosperity, a place where he could prosper. But instead of prosperity, what he found was destruction. When we forsake God and pursue our material prosperity, that can lead us into ruin. You know, sometimes we can end up at building heaven on earth. We can become so consumed with material blessings that we lose sight of God. We can become so focused on what we have and what we enjoy that we can forsake effectiveness in God's kingdom. We, we can be so busy maintaining our material prosperity or spending our money on trips and trinkets that we have little time to engage in the mission of the church, to be active in service and witness with God's people. What appears to be a blessing can end up being a curse. Lot fixed his eyes on the land and was driven by his self-interest. But throughout this whole episode, Abram kept his eyes fixed on God. He didn't try and grasp hold of, of what he had every reason to claim as his own. He didn't act in, in selfishness when he was confronted with Lot's greed. He looked to God. He entrusted everything to him, and God honored that. He risked material prosperity by giving up his rights in order to pursue peace with Lot. He trusted God without having a clear idea what that would mean. But then God promised him far more than he could ever possibly have imagined. If you look with me at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Lot had lifted up his eyes and made his choice, with his own self-interest in mind. It was a choice that would very soon end in disaster, costing him dearly. But God told Abraham to lift up his eyes, and he revealed to him a far greater blessing than he could ever have imagined. He promised him a land that stretched as far as his eyes could see, a land that would belong to him and to his offspring forever. 
God honored Abraham's faith. And just as he began in verse 2, Abraham responded in worship, verse 18. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Throughout the dispute with Lot, Abraham kept his eyes fixed on God. And that shaped his response at every step. And what he gave up was nothing compared to what he gained. Friends, how much more reason do we have to be at peace with one another? How much more have we seen of the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ? How much more can we dwell on the fact that we have a Savior who showed the ultimate generosity when he humbled himself to death for our sake? A Savior who did not cling hold to what was rightfully his, but instead bore the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and made blameless in God's sight. A Savior who counted others more significant than himself. And as we lift our eyes to our Savior Jesus, as we trust in his promises, as we consider the grace that has been lavished on us, as we have his mind among us, as his Spirit works within us, would we be a people who pursue peace, a people who love one another generously, even when that's really hard, so that the world around us can look at this church and see a people who are shaped not by our selfishness, but by our Savior. And as they do, would they encounter Him and know that lavish, undeserved grace for themselves? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you that your grace is lavish, that you are full of generosity and kindness and mercy. Lord, we've done nothing to deserve such grace, and yet you've given it to us in the Lord Jesus. Lord, as we meditate on him, as we lift our eyes to him, Lord, would you shape our hearts by your Spirit to be a people who pursue peace. And Lord God, we pray that as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, as we remember the, the communion that we share with you, we are reminded of the communion that we share with one another. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us so that we might know what it is to be forgiven and free. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.